This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good evening. I'm Caitlin Collins coming to you live from London tonight after an extraordinary 48-hour journey in and out of Ukraine for a one-on-one -on -one interview with President Volodymyr Zelensky on the second anniversary of Putin's invasion of his country. It was a conversation that frankly surprised me several times, including Zelensky's candor about the fight over U.S. aid. It's a situation that is so dire, as Zelensky told me, Ukraine will make no new gains on the battlefield this year unless they have U.S. help. He also warned that millions of people could die. It loomed almost over every conversation that was had with Ukrainians on the ground. This question of whether or not American support is going to be part of their future. Tomorrow could be a moment of truth there because in Washington, President Biden is set to meet with the leaders of the House and the Senate. Really inside that room, when they talk about aid to Ukraine, which we are told will be part of that conversation, it's going to be four against one inside the Oval Office because President Biden, Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries, Mitch McConnell, all on the same page when it comes to aiding Ukraine versus Mike Johnson, who has continued to hold the line against providing more aid, following in the lead of former President Donald Trump. President Zelensky in our one-on-one -on -one sit down had a lot to say about Speaker Johnson, the former president, and also the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. But we begin with how that stalemate in Washington is being felt on the front lines half a world away. Mr. President, thank you for being here. You said that you have hope that the U.S. Congress will deliver more aid to Ukraine. With all due respect, why do you have that hope? Because there are some members who are very opposed to sending any more aid to Ukraine. I'm sharing really with you what I hear or what I heard. It's not only about the trust. So you know that I'm really thankful for president and bipartisan support. But you have to know that usually once a month I meet and uh, I invite, not, it's not only with invitation works, but I meet a lot of uh, congressmen mm -hmm. from two parties and they always said that they will help us, they will support us, they need some some more time, that they have some radical voices in radical voices in, in Congress, but they will work on it and that's why I'm you know what I have to do. I'm the president in the wartime in Ukraine, which is in a war I have to trust our strategic partners. If they will change their mind, so it's a great problem for us. And it will be a big challenge for us. You were talking about the lawmakers from the U.S. that you've met with. You met with Senator Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate. But really, 
the person who, who may have your fate in his hands is Mike Johnson, the Republican House Speaker, who has never voted in favor of aid to Ukraine. What would you say to him beyond that he should come visit? I had a meeting with him, with Speaker Johnson, mm -hmm. and he also, if, if, he, if, if we can trust each other, I, uh, you know, this is the, again the, the, the question of of just of uh, how, how to trust partners or not. That's it, what I have to say. So when we spoke each other, he said that he will do everything to support Ukraine. And he is on our side. And he understands how heroic our people, our soldiers and, and, and civilians and etc. And he said that so his faith with us, yes, and prayers with us. And he said that he will do it. And then after my meeting with him, I had meeting was in the White House and also in the White House the administration told me, yes, we have challenges with some voices in Congress. And I asked President, really I asked him that, uh, please President, I'm asking you to help me and to help Ukrainian people. And please, can you do, I, I know that you have a lot of questions to each other uh, because of election period, challenging period, but can you, can you put the pause in your dialogue on, on, on these questions, one, 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 please one meeting with each other, with Democrats and Republicans, re Republicans, yeah, and please, can you have deal? Because for us, it's very important. Yes, I, I gave this message. My message, I think that Johnson had it, and Biden also had it, so that's it. What can I do? I can't push the speaker. This is his decision, but I think he understands all the challenges. What do we have? Do you trust Speaker Johnson? I have to trust. I have to trust. But we'll see. The stakes here. If U.S. aid to Ukraine stops, does that increase Russia's chances of winning? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. And, and Russians understand. And they do everything by, you know, that what is the information, it's part of the weapon and Russian weapon. And they were strong on it. And I was surprised that they are strong even in the United States, in the EU, all over the world. It's true. They put a lot of money to this. The bill is very high, billions. And, and of course, they raise up this, raise up this topic through their societies, different societies. And, and of course, they understand that it will have big influence on the battlefield, on the morality of his, of Putin's murders, his soldiers, because he knows that their morality is very low. Because during two years, they didn't have, you know, real victories on the battlefield. They just destroyed villages and some of our cities, but they couldn't occupy it mostly. They couldn't occupy it. our big cities and our people. So that, 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 that is the answer. So he needs not to, how to, to give uh, unity. He needs to break the unity between us and the United States. It means to break the unity in United States. You said that you believe Russia is preparing a counteroffensive for as soon as this May. If that happens and you don't get any more aid from the U.S., will you be prepared for that counteroffensive? People will be prepared, 
but ammunition will not be prepared and brigades, brigades will not be ready, will not be ready not only for our counteroffensive, they will not be ready to defend, to stay strong. It will be very difficult. One of the biggest things we hear from Republicans who don't support more aid to Ukraine is they're worried about corruption in Ukraine and corruption for the billions that are coming. Can you tell Americans why they should trust their taxpayer dollars with you? First of all, thanks so much to America that they trust us. But if they have questions about it, uh, they can get everything with details and mostly congressmen, they have it and the administration also has it. So mostly we didn't get billions with this military support, we, we've got more important things, military. So equipment, not, not just equipment, cash. Equipment, yes, equipment, not a cash. And that is very important. Then you have to know that all these billions, they didn't go to our budget. They went just to productions, defense productions, military productions of the United States, or to some funds, there are some, some funds in, on the, in, in, in Europe. Sometimes uh, it goes for buying some additional artillery and etc. and after that we, we've got it. So that is very important. The second, you have to know that now Ukraine has the candidate status in EU. For us it's very important. But to get the candidate status, uh, it's not only the future, not only our will and target to be the members of EU. When you get it, you have to vote and to provide anti-corruption reforms. All the anti-corruption reforms, what EU law say, says, yes? So we voted and provided all these reforms. That's why we've got candidate status. One other comment we heard from Senator J.D. Vance, who was in Munich at the security conference but didn't meet with you, he said that even if you got the $60 billion in aid, it is not going to fundamentally change the reality on the battlefield. What's your response to that? I'm not sure that he understands what's going on here. And uh, we don't need any rhetoric of, from people who, who are not uh, deeply in the in the you know in the in the war so to understand it is to come to the front line to see what's going on to speak with the people then to go to civilians to understand what will be with them and then what will be with them without this support and he will understand that millions people have been killed will be killed As it, it's so he doesn't understand it because he doesn't understand it of course he god bless you don't have the war on your territory and God bless, you will, never, you will never feel it. But if such guys, and they are decision makers for us, if such guys want to really make right decision, it's to understand right things, yeah, right things, what's going on. You've said that you're not in a stalemate. You don't believe Ukraine's at a stalemate. Realistically, what does victory look like for you? We don't want any frozen conflicts. That is the first we had it by the Minsk agreement. We had it after 
2014 when they occupied our Crimean part of east of our country. And we don't believe all our society, we don't trust any frozen documents, any frozen conflicts, any just, you know, papers about ceasefire. And we, we understand that Putin will never, Putin will never keep his word. It means that what we need to push the army out of our territory, if we will control our borders, it means for us, of course, peace and the ending of the war. And it's not enough, really, it's not enough. The, the very important things, it's not to give Putin possibility to come back. And in any frozen conflicts, he will come back to destroy us and to occupy us. That's true. And we don't want to check it the second time after Minsk agreement, after Normandy format. So everything was, so all that documents failed. So that's mean that with Putin, you can't trust him. That's why we don't need any frozen conflict. So you don't trust anything that his name is on. You did say today, as far as military plans, that your new commander-in-chief is, is drawing up a clear-cut plan, you said. Are there two different plans, one for if USAID happens and one if it, if it doesn't happen? Yes, it means that if we have munition or not, if we count on our partners or we have to count only on us. So that is defending plan or defending with some steps forward with counteroffensive. That's very important. Those back, looking back previous year to previous year. So what success we had on the Black Sea, maybe not everybody saw it, but it was success. We destroyed their ships, we opened Black Sea, not totally, but anyway, we made and created the new route in the Black Sea, uh, which gave for today about 30 million tons of grain and other agricultural products. Yes, it's it's, it's a big success, but we could did it, could do it with very concretic munition, with very concretic things. I'm not sure with uh, with audience or you all the details, but some of them, um, I think people understand. So you see the difference that USAID makes, is what you're saying? Yes, it means that this year, if we will not get any, anything, we will not have any success. And also, we I have any success any new success and I think the route will be closed with the grain because it, to defend it it's also about some ammunition some air defense and some other systems so, and th that's why without it and without we can't count on this that's corridor. a really stark comment you're basically saying that there will be no new success for Ukraine if there's no new US aid essentially this all depends on US aid Steps, success forward will depend on USA. Yes, not defending line, not only defending line. Because if you defend, just defend, you give possibility Russia push you. Yes, small steps back, but any anyway, you we will have these steps back, small one. But when you step back, you lose people. We will lose people. You revealed today for the first time, uh, uh, the first time in, in years, how many Ukrainian soldiers have been killed yeah. in the last two wars, in the last two years. You said it's around 31,000. Yeah. Why did you reveal that number today? Because it's enough for us to hear liars from different sides that we lost 
300,000 people and Russia lost about 30, 50, 60 different people, different scientists, even in the United States, different politicals, politicians, they shared some, some, you know, some fantastic number of people been killed. So Russia didn't have success in, 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 uh, occupation. They occupied it and half of those torches that they occupied it from the, uh, 2024, you know, that half of this territory we already deoccupied it. It's, I think this is success. Again, Black Sea, this is success. And it's a pity that we have so many losses because each person, this is tragedy for family, of course. But I wanted to stop all this sharing of flyers. I just wanted very much for our people and for our partners understand. And it also, though, shows soldiers that you need. I mean, Russia, obviously, their, their manpower outnumbers you. Do you expect that there will be an increase in the mobilization for the draft? Oh, I know, speaking about it, uh, before uh, Chief Commander will uh, do audit. Okay, so you're not going to say if the number is going to go up yet. Uh, one other thing you mentioned, you said the U.S. election, you believe, will be a key turning point. Donald Trump appears that he is on the verge of becoming the Republican nominee for president. The last time I interviewed him, he refused to say if he wanted Ukraine or Russia to win this war. Are you prepared for him to be reelected? The decision who will be the president decision of your society. But one moment. I hope it's not I hope it's it will not be so, but this way, but but anyway, so if uh, Donald Trump doesn't, doesn't know whom he will support, Ukraine or Russia, I think that he will have challenges with his society. Because to support Russia, it means be against Americans. I'm sure. Because Russia, killing our people, killing their oppositions. They killed all, you know, all the democracy and the democracy and freedom of speech. It means that he killed, Putin killed all the values which are, which we defend today. And I think, and I hope that we have common values, our people with your people. And that's why I can't understand how, how Donald Trump can be on the side of Putin. So for me, it's something Unbelievable. So would a Trump victory be good for Ukraine or bad for Ukraine? I think more important, what is it for you? That's your decision. So for us, it's very dangerous if politics uh, will change. Politics to Ukraine. Ukraine policy. Ukraine policy. Oh, sorry. So. For us, if the Ukraine uh, policy changes, it's change. dangerous. Uh, it's very dangerous. You very clearly want Ukraine to be in NATO. Yes. One comment that Donald Trump made recently is that NATO countries that don't pay enough in defense, that Russia should do whatever the hell they want to those countries. Those are his words. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that he's ready to do, to do it. It's just worse. I think so.
You're not sure that he's ready to do... To go out from the NATO or to push countries you have to pay, otherwise Russia can do with you everything Russia wants. I think it's some, something like, not just words. It's just words. I think so. What about when he says that he could solve what's happening in one day, this two-year war now in one day? I think he can't understand what's going on here. He, he can't solve it with uh, Putin and with Russia because we'll never be ready to give our territories just for the stopping of the war, give them sort of a sense of our country. I think he doesn't uh, really understand that Putin will not stop. Even in this case, Putin will never stop and he won't occupy us totally. That's why I think that Donald Trump doesn't know Putin. But I know that he met him and, uh, and I don't know the spirit and mood of their dialogue in their things, but, uh, but he, he, never, he never fought with Putin. American army never fought with the army of Russia. Never. So you have a better view than he does? A better I've understanding? Better understanding. You heard President Zelensky there saying at one point that he doesn't believe Trump understands Putin because he's never fought him. Also that he doesn't understand how Trump could side with Russia over Ukraine. We'll talk about all of this next with a former Republican congressman and also the former director of the CIA, General David Petraeus. Also tonight, more of our interview with President Zelensky, including his telling answer to this question. You once said, losing is worse than death. Do you still feel that way today? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. House Republicans hold in their hands the lifeline that Ukraine so desperately needs, as you just heard from President Zelensky there, telling me that he believes millions of people could die without it. We also talked about the 2024 presidential election, the impact that it could have. Zelensky at one point saying that he cannot understand how Donald Trump could side with Russia over Ukraine. To understand where House Republicans could go from here, I'm joined by a former House Republican, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. And Congressman, I, I just wonder what your reaction was to that to that last comment there, where Zelensky was saying that, that he understands Putin actually better, he thinks, than Trump does, because Trump's never fought him. He's never had that kind of an adversarial relationship in the sense of what Zelensky is facing right now with him. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's, it's heartbreaking to hear. It's true. But think about this. Russia is approaching. If not, if they haven't hit it yet, they're approaching the number of lost men, the same that the United States lost in the entirety of World War Two. So think about that. We liberated Japan, Germany, you know, took out two dictatorships. Russia has made minimal territory territorial gain with about the same casualties. So what it shows is Vladimir Putin has no appreciation for his, the lives of the humans in his country. Uh, and he will keep throwing meat at this, at this meat grinder until he wins. 
and, and, and listening to people, particularly in my part in the Republican Party saying that our strategy is failing. I heard that today. I'm sitting there like, wait, what? There have been minimal territorial gains. 300, approaching 400,000 dead Russian soldiers, most of which, most of their tanks and armored vehicles are gone, a significant amount of their air force. They cannot operate anymore in the Black Sea, which was once unthinkable, and basically have not been able to have air superiority over Ukraine. To sit here and say, our strategy is failing? No, Ukraine is winning if they can defend themselves. The problem is now, they're running out of ammunition because for some reason, the Republicans that do support Ukraine don't have the courage to do what needs to be done on the floor of the House. Well, I mean, it, the reality also is Russia is making gains on the battlefield now. Part of that, they say, is because of manpower issues in Ukraine and the lack of ammunition. They're being more strategic and when they fire. I mean, when he says that he, he trusts Speaker Johnson, talking about how they met, what Speaker Johnson said to him privately, and he says that he trusts him. I mean, what did you make of that comment? Well, I hope he's right. Uh, you know, obviously they had private conversations. I think from what I've heard that Speaker Johnson in his heart would pass Ukraine tomorrow if he could or tonight if he could. The problem is he doesn't have the political acumen apparently to be able to just put it on the floor and say, you know what, Freedom Caucus, you guys want to try to vacate the chair? Fine, do it. And then he can cut a deal with the Democrats to save them if necessary but then they will build statues to Speaker Johnson in Kiev. This is the, the thing is these men and women have an opportunity to be known in history. If just four of them go to Speaker Johnson and say, we're gonna shut down all rules, and you know what that is, all action on the floor until you put this Ukraine aid on the floor, he'd do it in a week. Signing the discharge petition, there's ways to get it done. He has to be emboldened by the, the rank and file Republicans to push against the Freedom Caucus, which by the way, Caitlin, and you covered Congress long enough, the Freedom Caucus pretends like they're concerned about China, for instance. They are absolutely empowering China right now by turning their back on Ukraine, and they never have any intention of confronting China because I served with these most of these men and women for a number of years, and they believe in total isolation and do not believe that American strength is worth exercising in any way. So don't let them fool you by saying that the real concern is China because they have no intention of taking on China either. What did you make of, of Zelensky's comment that he believes Trump's threat to leave NATO is, in his view right now, just an empty one? Well, I think he said what he needs to say. I mean, obviously, as you, as you noticed, and it was a great interview, by the way, but as you noticed, he has to be very careful, doesn't want to appear to meddle in U.S. politics. Yeah. Um, obviously, he did a good job of resisting you know, Donald Trump's attempt to get him to meddle in the first impeachment. And so he's cautious about that. I, I think he understands that, you know, the idea that NATO is going to go away is, is unthinkable. Uh, I'm sure he's concerned about it. But let's be clear about something, too. Um, you know, we're at a moment where the Russians and, frankly, some people in, in the Republican Party are saying that this is just NATO expansion. We finally got Sweden and it was difficult to do. So uh, it's, it's a tough argument to make and a tough thing to sell. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, great to have your perspective on this interview. Thanks for your time tonight. You bet. See you. More of this interview with President Zelensky is up next. His very candid answer on how these last two years have changed him. We'll be joined by four-star General David Petraeus on where he sees this war headed next. Two years and tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers dead. Russia's invasion has fundamentally changed the Ukrainian people, but it's also changed the 46-year-old 
president. It's been two years of war. How have the two years of war changed you? Totally. Like all our society. Um, and other priorities. Another understanding of value of your family, of your children. Another understanding of the time. What really you need and what is, you know, just, just nothing. Focusing on very concretic things. Uh, understanding who is really your friend. And it's not only in countries, also outside. Who is your real friend? Who from or leaders are partners? Who are businessmen? And the friends are more important than businessmen. And I think all this and what is your country really, really need is just, just, just what people need just to survive. You once said losing is worse than death. Do you still feel that way today? Losing to Putin. It's worse than death. It's the same. It's the same for today because when when he wants only one goal for him is just just to to kill you your people so it means to lose him it means to be killed Mr President thank you for your time today Thank you so much And I'm joined now by the former US commanding general who oversaw American led wars in Afghanistan and Iraq Retired four-star general David Petraeus, who also is the author of Conflict, the Evolution of Warfare from 1945 to Ukraine. General, it's great to have you here tonight because you are one of the few people that, that has an idea of what Zelensky is talking about, what he's going through as a leader, and what it's like bearing the responsibility of war and how it, how it does change you as a human being. Well, absolutely. Um, leadership at that level is a very grinding experience. I think it's particularly so in the case of Ukraine and particularly at this juncture. Uh, they still are very determined. I was at the Munich Security Conference and we heard from him. I talked to his national security advisor, a number of other individuals that were there. The determination is still absolutely clear, but as I'm sure you felt uh, in Kyiv, very different from last year. There's a weariness that has set in and there's also a degree of worry uh, so on top of all the other challenges that leaders had, I, I never had to question whether or not the Pentagon was going to come through for me. Uh, in this case, his biggest worry is, in fact, whether the U.S. is going to provide the additional resources that have been approved by the Senate but are hung up in the House. Uh, and that is a very, very big factor. I just uh, had an essay in foreignpolicy.com that talked about the future of the war in Ukraine, and it was titled, It Depends because it does depend. It depends first and foremost on continued U.S. support, noting that, as, as you know, Europe has actually come through. Uh, so Munich was very different. Normally, it's a situation where the U.S. is trying to say, hey, Europeans, you got to get your act together. This year, it's the Europeans saying, we just passed 50 billion at the EU level. Every country is doing an individual uh, agreement with Ukraine. And what, what are you up to? 
uh, when are you going to come through for Ukraine? Noting that this is in our national security interest. This isn't charity. Yeah. So, and then the other challenge that they face is this very sensitive political issue for Ukraine of forced generation. Um, are they going to reduce the age of conscription? It's really quite high. You know, the soldiers that I was privileged to lead in Iraq and Afghanistan, average age was somewhere 18 to 23. In Ukraine, the average age of a soldier on the front line is over 40. And it's because of the way they actually carry out uh, conscription. They've got to come to grips with this because the another really big factor is their ability to generate replacement uh, soldiers and also uh, additional forces and units and capabilities relative to, of course, uh, those of Russia, which has a population more than three times their size and an economy more yeah. than 10 times their size. Well, and right now in, in, in Ukraine, it's it's 27, a question of whether it's going to be lowered to 25 and how many. I mean, yes. we saw that play out with the departure of, of the Ukrainian commander in chief. He's now been replaced. And, and when you look at this, they are very quick in Ukraine to say this is not a stalemate. But the counteroffensive that was highly anticipated last summer did not work. And I wonder if when you look at Russia's gains on the battlefield, if you do believe the tide of this war is turning in Russia's favor. Well, you can sense a shift in momentum, if you will. Um, the Ukrainians did at least have the momentum or had the initiative, at least during the summer offensive. They were the ones pressing forward. Yes, they did not achieve uh, what we all hoped that they would. Uh, and now that it's it's reversed and Russia has been able to take back some of the gains that Ukraine achieved earlier, these are not strategically important uh, gains, but they are on the, they have the initiative. They're the ones pressing the fight. And the concern, of course, for the Ukrainians is that they're having to ration essentially artillery ammunition. They're worried about running out of the all important uh, air and ballistic missile defense interceptors. You know, Kyiv is a city that has a normal feel to it, despite the air raid sirens going off every night. And, and most people now don't even go to the air raid shelters because they have confidence in this. Imagine if all of a sudden they start to run out of the interceptors and systems that we have provided uh, for air and ballistic missile defense. So again, there's a lot to be concerned about here. And the mood certainly is very, very different. There was a very different feel in Munich and those that have been there, and I'm sure you sense the same. Uh, there's a mood of real concern uh, and worry and weariness. Yeah, Zelensky at one point said there is no alternative to American support, because even if you have the money, you can't get those, the Patriot missile systems, what they need. General David Petraeus will obviously be watching all of this closely. Thank you for your insight tonight. Good to be with you again, Caitlin. Thank you. And back in Washington, President Biden made, made some very big news about the Israel-Hamas war today as he was at an ice cream shop with a late night host at his side. What he said about what could be to come on the ground in Gaza. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden tonight with a hopeful assessment about the prospect of another ceasefire happening in Gaza and happening soon. 
It would mean a stop in the fighting in exchange for the release of more hostages who are still being held by Hamas tonight. The president made a spontaneous announcement at an ice cream shop after he had taped a segment with the late night host Seth Meyers, which is why you see him standing by his side as he said this. Did you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. No other details on what could be a major turning point in this war, but I want to talk more about that moment there with Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna of California, who has now been calling for a ceasefire and also campaigning for the president. Congressman, beyond the way that this was announced, which I think was a little bizarre to everyone, obviously standing next to, to Seth Meyers with an ice cream cone in his hand, on the actual substance of what he said, what do you make of the timing of this? Well, I appreciate the president saying that. It's big news. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's on Monday before the Michigan primary, and it shows that uh, the president is listening to his coalition. I give Mayor Hamoud, the mayor of Dearborn, credit. I give the majority leader in Michigan, uh, Representative Abe Aliash, credit, and all the activists and progressives saying this war needs to end, and many progressives speaking out. I think the president has heard that message, and He's telling Jake Sullivan, now let's get it done. Let's have a ceasefire with the release of all hostages. You personally have changed your stance on calling for a ceasefire. Uh, our viewers will remember the last time we had you on back in November. You know, we had this robust discussion about this, and you had not yet called for one. A staffer of yours had resigned over the fact that you hadn't done that. What changed uh, your stance on this? Well, I, you're absolutely right. I believe that Israel should have had the right to self-defense with Hamas, and I condemned the October 7th attack. I condemned Hamas and still do as a terrorist organization. But by mid-November, by Thanksgiving, I thought Israel had de demolished about two-thirds of the battalions uh, in Hamas and had prevented a further attack on October 7th. And the response of Netanyahu and his extreme right-wing government since then has been disproportionate. They have defied the president going into places like Rafah. They have uh, engaged in bombing that even the president has called over the top. And so my view is that the Netanyahu's goals are unachievable, this idea that you're going to kill all the Hamas fighters and that we need a permanent ceasefire and release of hostages. And there are over 60 members of Congress now who have taken that view. Uh, you mentioned what's happening in Michigan tomorrow, and I think for people watching who, who maybe have not been paying close attention to it, it's important that, to, to note about this campaign that's underway to convince Democrats there to vote uncommitted in the Democratic primary, basically to send a message to President Biden that they don't like his policy on this. You said that you believe that he needs to have specific policy changes that are different here, that just, you know, slogans are, are not enough to actually win over those voters. What specific changes do you want to see? I want to see an end to the war, so I'm encouraged that the president uh, has made that statement today of a permanent ceasefire or a ceasefire and a release of all hostages. It's one of the arguments I actually made in Michigan of why I would vote for President Biden if I were a voter in Michigan, because at least he's willing to listen to uh, the Democratic coalition in contrast to Donald Trump. I also believe that the president needs to make it clear to Bibi Netanyahu and Ben Gavir and the extreme right-wing government that they're not going to get precision missiles from us to uh, kill more uh, innocent civilians in places like Rafah when we've told them not to do that. And I believe the president needs to clearly 
uh, state that the occupation needs to come to an end and recognize a Palestinian state. But on that, Congressman, you know, you said he's listening to, to people. But when he went to Michigan recently, you know, he avoided uh, era, areas that have a majority of, of Arab Americans. And that instead, you know, he was speaking uh, when he was meeting with these union leaders. It was a mostly white area, suburban area. I mean, is he actually listening to them enough, do you think? Well, I know he's listening to people like me in time because I've talked to him about uh, this. And uh, I've said to him, Mr. President, you have a progressive base that's very upset about this. My hope is after we get a ceasefire and release of full hostages, that he'll spend a half a day in Dearborn just to listen. The president is very empathetic. I think he needs to hear the stories of loss, of grief. I mean, people there talked about families who had lost three generations of relatives in the same house. That one person talked about two grandmothers who had been killed. Uh, he needs to empathize and, and hear that. And then I think he can win back that trust. Hmm. Congressman Rokana, always enjoy having you on The Source. Thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. Up next, the former president, Donald Trump, is now prepared to appeal the biggest penalty of his life. It is nearly half a billion dollars for fraud, and it's growing with interest. The question is whether or not he has the money to put up. Tonight, there are major questions over how former President Donald Trump is going to be able to find nearly half a billion dollars to appeal the judgment in his New York civil fraud case after he filed a notice of appeal this morning. That's the next step here. He has until March 25th to put up the cash or to post a bond for that enormous sum that he has been ordered to pay. The attorney general for New York, Letitia James, says that her office is prepared to seize his New York assets if he's unable to make that deadline. Here tonight is former federal prosecutor Christy Greenberg, and it's great to have you. I think a question is, do we know, will we know when Trump either puts this money up or, or posts the bond to officially hold off this deadline that is now, you know, the clock is ticking down. It's less than 30 days from now. So it's unclear if that's something that they would actually officially dock it, but certainly by the deadline of March 25th, it will become clear, I would think, from one or both of the parties, whether or not he has actually posted that bond or put up the money himself. What's the likelihood of this appeal? I mean, he has to post this to, to have this appeal. It's not surprising that he's appealing it, but what is the likelihood of an appeal actually succeeding here? I think it's very unlikely. Remember, Caitlin, this is largely a documents case. Before we even got to the trial, this judge issued a summary judgment opinion just on the documents that the Trump Organization had engaged in persistent fraud. And then you get to the trial where Judge Angoran really protected the record for appeal. He gave a lot of leeway to the defense. Donald Trump got to make a lot of rants about and this is a political witch hunt. You know, Don Jr. basically put on a timeshare presentation about how great all the properties were. Um, and, you know, he let even though a lot of that was irrelevant, he let that in so that they couldn't have an argument on appeal that they were stymied in what they wanted to say. You know, similarly, he wrote a really detailed opinion with detailed fact finding, credibility findings. And that's the kind of thing that appellate courts don't really overturn on appeal. And then finally, the judge also relied on the independent monitors report for a lot of fact finding as well as to the current state of the Trump organization. And so given those three things, I really don't see a lot of ways for this to be overturned on appeal in a meaningful way. How soon could that be decided if he if he does not succeed on that? You know, when would when would we know that he actually does have to fully pay this to New York? 
Well, look, I, there's going to be a briefing schedule that will be set. This is going to take quite a bit of time. I mean, I expect that there will be months involved in the briefing schedule, both for you know, the Trump Organization to file its appeal, then months for a response. You know, I, I don't see this happening, you know, being concluded anytime soon. And plus, there are different lit different levels of appeal. Presumably, if he's unsuccessful at the at this level, he'll go all the way up to the highest court, which is actually called the New York Court of Appeals. But presumably, he will exhaust every avenue of, yeah. of, of appeal that he has. Christy Greenberg, we will be following it all closely with you. Thank you for your time tonight. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.